sometimes it's really hard to have really deep conversations because you are worried what folks are going to think what what you say you know like that's what we were talking about uh, <laughs> well that, that's <laughs> the thing that's so hard and i think that's why we never have com- like real conversations because nobody wants to be seen as racist nobody wants to see be seen as sexist or homophobic and nobody wants to be and we sh- shouldn't be judged on sound bites but we are no um, we are so and yeah it's i think one of the things that has made me think continue coming back to that piece is that we have pieces of those things in us. Like, especially if you're a white cis dude, like you're gonna have bits of racism in you. You're gonna have bits of misogyny in you. And there are going to be moments when that stuff comes out. And if you, if you are so concerned with how you're, coming across and you're not being considerate at all but at the same time you're not at least owning up to those little pieces that are inside of you then you're just being a prick because you're trying to pretend like you're better than everyone when in reality no that's a part of you you can't hide that part of you no i i yeah no i I totally agree with that and um I don't know, that, that's why sometimes when you have these social justice conversations, I, I you know, and that's something I've always kind of felt I, I've been interested in. Like, you know, like a lot of social justice conversations are white people sitting around and having or white straight people or a bunch of white people having the conversation on diversity. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's what it is. Like, it's so true. It's exactly what I, most of our field is. And I've struggled with that, honestly. I've yeah. struggled with the fact that I've had to do programs working about diversity. Like when I used to be a hall director, we had used to have to put on programs that talked about diversity and racism. And um, I've always struggled because, you know, it's this, it's this twofold thing. It's really great to see, um, you know, someone who is seen as a white, straight, individual come out and kind of um, support that message. Uh, but at the same time, who am I to actually talk about racism? Cause I've never been directly impacted by it, yeah. you know? So it's such an interesting, um, cause I guess I'm teaching my perspective of what it might feel like, or I, I don't know, like yeah. it's always been an inauthentic thing to me, but it needs to get done. And I want to be part of the solution but I don't know, like, I, I 100% I'm going to be the, probably the most politically correct brewer in the world. Podcast. This is your host, Craig Bideman, here with another conversation with a daily disruptor and everyday educator uh, for your ears to listen to uh, this conversation. That's that's what's going to happen with this podcast. That's why I make it try to talk with folks uh, 
in the world of education who kind of punk the system or have punk ethics or do things themselves, you know, DIY stuff. I also like to talk to musicians and artists that come from punk backgrounds or are independently doing things on their own terms. I'm all, I'm a big fan of all that stuff. That's, that's what I'm a big fan of. And that's, that's why I do this podcast. It's a lot of fun. Uh, today I'm talking with my good buddy, Dan O'Hara, uh, who is, uh, still currently working at Champlain college. Uh, as of this week, it is his last week uh, working in education, as the title of this podcast uh, alludes to. Dan's getting out, but not before he lasted for uh, about a good decade in the field. And we're going to talk about the retention in higher education, what that looks like, what authenticity looks like when you kind of have to overcompensate a little bit sometimes to be to feel like you are appreciated for the work that you do and feel like you actually have a place in the field especially when you come from a background that might be a little bit uh, more punk than others. Dan's a very tattooed human being, so that's always kind of been uh, a little bit of a concern for him uh, as he's navigated the field. We talk about having tattoos, both of us being very tattooed human beings uh, in education, but we also get into why he's leaving the field, why he's done, and why he's moving on to start uh, working with a brewery, making some craft brews up in Vermont, uh, something that I think he's way more excited about right now than uh, he could even contain in this conversation. And today, you're going to get to hear some tunes from uh, the most recent release from Howling Frequencies Records. It is a split from the band's Brunettes and Mineva. Mineva? Uh, I always think that that's Minerva because of the Deftones album. Uh, but it's actually Mineva and Brunettes. You're going to hear songs from both of those bands. You heard Brunettes at the very top of this. You'll hear a song from Mineva later later in the podcast. But Howling Frequencies is a great uh, label that got started this year by uh, my friend Paul de Grand Prix, who's in the band Derive, who... Uh, you heard me chat with Greg from uh, Derive earlier in the year, and they just keep putting out great, heavy music, and I think you'll enjoy it if you like some heavy, screamier stuff. I just said screamier. That's not that's not a word, but I like it. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep that in. <laughs> if you like what you hear, tell your friends. Uh, tell your colleagues, have them subscribe. Next week is going to be our last week before taking a three week break to go on holiday, uh, back to the Midwest to visit Katie's family in Oregon to visit my family. We're also going to be interviewing some people along the way so that when we come back, we have some fresh in-person interviews for you to hear. And so next week will be our last episode. Uh, it'll drop next Wednesday. Uh, I'm really excited about the conversation. This was actually supposed to be the season finale, but then I landed an interview that uh, I am really excited to do, uh, uh, to bring to you next week. Cannot wait for you all to hear that. And we're on the Google Play uh, Music Store now. You can find uh, uh, the podcast if you're on Android, much easier now. Uh, Also working on getting Spotify officially sent the podcast through Spotify this week 
week. And if you like the music you hear throughout the entire year, or you're just trying to look for some new music, I have a playlist with everything that I have ever hyped on this podcast in that playlist. And there it is. There's a link to it in the show notes. And now I want to get you to this conversation with Dan O'Hara. I'm sitting digitally with my buddy Dan O'Hara, who's up in Burlington, Vermont, or uh, Winooski. Yeah. Winooski. Winooski, the next town over. I forgot what town it was, and I was talking to a friend who was in Burlington at one point, and they couldn't remember where it could have been. So Winooski. Winooski. Yeah. In your new place. Yeah. How's the How's the new house? New house is good. Front door is a little thin because it's an old classroom door because my Condo is an old classroom that's turned into a, a, a house. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like so my building. House? Yeah, my building was built in nineteen uh, twenties, um, and uh, they converted all the classrooms into condos. Um, and I have a full basketball court in our basement. Wow. That's um, like our gym. Uh, so no, it's pretty great. But so we have like a big glass paneled front door. Um, so uh, my dogs kind of rage when they hear people coming down the the uh, hallway. So uh, got to figure it out. But uh, no, it's great. That's it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. How did you come across that place? Sorry, we're going to get off on a tangent already. <laughs> no, that, I, you know, um, we've been looking for a place for a while. And um, we had uh, kind of saw it on the market. And we had some friends who actually live in the in the building. Um right now and I've lived here for the last couple of years and always talked pretty highly of it. And when I started getting serious about searching for a place, the unit we're living in was on the market and um, it's just kind of like a funky, funky place. Like there's a loft over our bedroom and the ceilings are like 15 feet high Dang. and if these cool ass, like, uh, uh, I don't know if I can, can you can you can swear on podcasts, right? Yeah, and you can swear on this podcast. Okay, cool. Just double checking. Um, uh, no, but it's got like really cool closets that are original built-ins from when it was a classroom in the, from the twenties. So um, it's just got a lot of character, and I kind of I bought it without Lindsay, my wife, actually even seeing it in person. She oh, only wow. saw it in pictures and videos, and uh, um, and she loved it when she came up here for. Um, November break. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's really uh, awesome. <laughs> I can't wait to come check it out. Yeah, totally. Uh, so I know a bit about you. We've chatted a bunch over the last, uh, th- three years. We've known each three years. We've known each other now. So, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Three and a half, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So I know a bit about you folks listening might not know anything about you. Can you give folks a little bit of uh, an idea who, who you are, where you are, how you got there. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, um, well, I mean, you already said it, but my name is Dan O'Hara, and um, I currently am working at Champlain College, but that is actually coming to an end in, uh, well, five days from when we're talking. I don't know when the podcast is actually going to be published. It actually might be on your last day. <laughs> well, that, well, then, if you're hearing this next Friday or on Friday, 
I, it's my last day. Nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I've been working at Champlain. Uh, I put in four and a half years. Um, before that I was working at university of New Hampshire as a hall director for four years. Um, and before that I actually worked at university of North Dakota. I was a, I was a graduate hall director there while I was doing my masters and, um, had a short stint at, um, uh, boarding school in Alaska for a year. And, uh, my undergrad was in, um, uh, Plymouth state university in Plymouth, New Hampshire. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, in terms of time that I've been working with students, I've, um, I put in from about 2006 to, um, I guess almost 2018. So I was doing Dang. it for a, a hot minute. <clears throat> yes. About what? 10, 11, 11 years now. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like uh, like ten and a half or eleven and a half. It's in between there somewhere, but um, yeah, it always blows me away because I graduated high school in two thousand six, Dan. Did you? Yeah, oh, I was I was working with high schoolers in Alaska in two thousand and six. That's awesome. And it was a, it was a, I mean that, that's a whole other podcast on its own, right? About how um, kind of a unique experience that was, but uh, oh yeah. Yeah, you know. Um, I mean, I taught high school for a couple of years too, but it was a few years after I graduated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Like my my undergrad and and grad degree are both in education. My undergrad was actually physical education, um, teacher certification, and then um, my master's was a uh, master's of science in um, uh, educational leadership. Cool. So, I mean, yeah. what what got you like wanting to go into education? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I have a clear cut reason and it's kind of something I've told people like over and over again. Because, you know, I feel like that's a question that we get all the time in student affairs. Like, why do you want to do student affairs? Um, and for me, I have this really distinct um, kind of memory of um, when I was in college, um, I started to get tattooed and, you know, started to get more and more heavily tattooed in college. Um, and about time that I was starting to do some practicums and moving into student teaching. I had a lot of teachers in elementary school um, tell me I'd never be a teacher because I had too many tattoos. Uh, I was told the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And um, for me, it was it was kind of this pivotal moment that um, my hall director at the time who I I worked for and I actually still keep in contact with him. His name is Tony and he's a He's uh, like an assistant or an associate director of um, admissions somewhere in New Hampshire. He was at Plymouth, but just recently transitioned to a new a new role. But um, he was kind of telling me, he's like, you know what? You can do this sort of stuff as a career. Um, and, you know, that kind of stuck with me. And I think the, the thing for me that I always tell college students is, you know, you're told to be who you are for really your first two and a half, maybe three years if you're lucky. And then that last year, you're told to conform and kind of like, hey, you want to get a job? Just do whatever you need to do, like hide maybe pieces of yourself. And um, for me, I guess I wanted to role model the idea that you could be successful and be who you are. Um, and, and that's really why I got into student affairs. But you know what? Uh, so I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately. I think the thing um, that has made me uh, pretty decent in is the same thing that ultimately is kind of driving me to leave. And that's the um, um, idea of kind of being an outsider. 
You know, like I think the students connected with me because I was kind of this gruff, well, not was, I am this gruff kind of like tattooed, uh, you know, dude where you don't see that a lot in, um, I guess in higher affairs, especially or higher ed and student affairs in terms of, um, being a mid-level person, you don't see, um, a lot of that. You see people who really want to move up and, 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 um, I think like are really okay with the politics and, and I've never really been that way. And, um, I think that's one of the things that's kind of, uh, made me decide to try something new. Um, yeah. No, cause when we, when we first met, I was at a job interviewing conference thing, the Baca thing and I saw you with your sleeves out and well, in tattoo mindset, that means your, your, your tattoos are showing. And, um, my first inclination was to come up to you and be like, holy crap, I need to talk to you because I have, I have sleeves and I'm covered up right now. And I feel so uncomfortable. And you were just like, yeah, man, like. I have them out every day. I don't even think about it. And I was like, oh, great. There's hope for me. <laughs> well, you know, it's so funny to, to me, too, about our first interaction um, at that conference and to randomly running into you because I, uh, I I told you this at the time, but I remember seeing a bunch of your stuff when you were in grad school, a bunch of your YouTube stuff. Hmm. Um and it was just funny to kind of like be like, hey, I've seen you on the internet and kind of – I mean it's not funny for you because I feel like that's kind of a medium that you work in a lot. So It's true. Like, I do get, hey, Craig, I've seen you on the internet when I meet people for the first time. It's yeah become normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm sure for you it was normal at the time or maybe becoming normal. But no, I mean it's funny because we both had our own kind of like interaction because I was really uh, impressed by the work you were doing around minimasculinity. Mm. So. Yeah. And so you got you got into education kind of trying to prove someone wrong to a degree. Um which is yeah. almost exactly well, that's that's kind of the reason I got in cuz someone was just like Craig well cuz I was an ADHD kid and people were just like Craig you're going to need to like calm down at some point and whatever but my whole thing was like i want to prove to them that i am like a good educator like i'm a smart person and so what if i'm tattooed i don't really care um but where along the lines did you start to feel a little bit more like an outsider you know um that's a good question i don't know i don't know if i've ever felt like a student affairs person, to be quite honest. And I think, you know, I, I think the thing is too to recognize that I've, I, I've been heavily in my entire career in residential life. Um, I think there are other areas in student affairs that are, are, are a little bit different, a little bit more, I don't want to say accepting because I've never felt like anybody didn't accept me for my tattoos. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's just over the last couple years, I've, um, being in a mid-level position, kind of um, feeling politics a little bit more um, than I did when I was more of an entry-level person. And um, 
you know, like navigating the fact that I never want to be a director of residence life. Uh, and I think, you know, that's something that as I've kind of, I guess, just kind of thought about, uh, I've spent time thinking about like, well, what do I want my career to look like and what do I want to do next? And, uh, so yeah, I, I think over the last couple of years, um, I've, I've really kind of decided that I wanted to look elsewhere. Um, and you know, I, I've had a wonderful opportunity pop up in front of me, which I'm sure we'll talk about it mm-hmm. at some point. But, um, yeah, I, I think that's really the thing. I think as I got more into a mid-level position, it's really kind of interesting because I love supervision. I love to supervise other professionals. That's been really rewarding with me or for me. Um, but I don't know if um, student affairs is really this a sustainable field. Um, I, I've in watched, general or for you? I think in general, to be honest, I've watched okay. countless numbers of people leave the field and leave for starting a new career, working at places like Target maybe, like people who are, who are not leaving and working salary jobs or working hourly jobs. Um, and I've seen you know people leave and, and – land on their feet. Um, so I, I think that's one thing for me. And I think supervising entry level people for the last couple of years to see kind of how we kind of hammer them with just more and more work. You know, we talk about work life balance. Um, but how many directors, um, are actually, uh, or VPs are actually role modeling work life balance. So I, I think I think it's a I think you see it in the mid level, but um, you know it's a weird kind of um, thing. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right because um, <clears throat> the retention rate among even uh, early professionals or new professionals is so short, and because folks are kind of, I think. Within three to five years, folks kind of figure out whether they're going to be in this for a long haul or not, and then they just get out. Um, yeah. But you hung around for a little bit longer than that. You you made it around eleven years or so. What do you think yeah. kept you around that long? I, I think making the being able to make the jump to mid level kept me around um, that long. To be honest with you, I think um, being someone who was actively um, involved with helping to change policy uh, within a um, a community really helped out. But um, yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I think partly some of it was um, moving to to Burlington and getting this job. There there wasn't a lot of latitude for me to actually um, try new things because um, I, I know that. Um, working with my um well my partner is in a uh, school um one of us kind of needed to have a stable job and i think um that's kind of the beauty of my relationship with my partner is that um i've kind of worked and helped support her dream for the last um four and a half years um with the doctorate and um we're kind of at a place where she's able to help support me with my dream of, of kind of, um, working in the, in the brewing industry. So, um, I think it's a little bit of mix of, of making sure that our kind of family was, um, 
um, taken care of. And, uh, and, and I really did like the work and I, I did like the work. Um, but as I've done it for longer, it, it, it's not, it's not connecting with me anymore. Yeah. You and I, so I was recently up in Burlington visiting you, uh, albeit also at a music festival. Um, but we got to spend a good amount of time together just chatting about the field and you brought up a couple frustrations with me that I think are like perfectly valid frustrations. And one in particular that still I think I can come back to a lot is just a little bit of frustration around like even as progressive punks with a good understanding on um, – like toxic masculinity, anti-racism, anti um like misogyny things like that. Sometimes some of our social justice language our quote unquote PC culture can get in the way of getting work done. And that's been something that I keep coming back to and I think uh I would love if you would talk on that a little bit um cuz it seemed like part of the reason why you were just like I can't get anything done in some of these meetings. <laughs> yeah. I mean that, yeah, that's a huge thing. You know, the thing I, thing I think about higher ed, that's an interesting thing is, um, I think we have to, and this isn't what you're talking about, but this is a tangent you made me think about. I, I think it's totally because, fine. <laughs> well, you know, it's one of those things that I think is interesting because student affairs has been kind of shit on, um, by academia and other folks at, at institutions. And I feel like folks coming in um, to these positions have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder and have to prove that they're educated people and have to prove that, um, you know, they're there for a reason. I also think, you know, there, there's something I've, I've thought about, you know, and, and now I'm thinking like fragmented thoughts because, Everything I'm saying is like making me think of something else. But, <laughs> you know, like I almost wonder if some of that chip uh, on the shoulder too is like you're getting folks who are um, maybe their first time or their first generation college students who now have a master's degree or a doctorate and, you know, they're in student affairs and they're really highly educated and they're really intelligent, but you're still getting faculty members who are questioning, you know, their credibility. So I, I think about that, like how much extra pressure might that put on someone? Um, and the reason I bring first generation college student up is because I think student affairs does a really great job of, of, um, building, um, and I hate to use this term, but a safe space for, I think a lot of different folks who are in turbulent points in their life and student affairs, student activities, res life, orientation, whatever has been a really great, fostering learning development for them when they're in college so they actually continue on in higher education and want to feed back into that system so that's why i'm kind of saying like does that make sense to you oh no completely it completely makes sense to me because i i i I live that and i feel that too yeah so i I guess i I literally just had a conversation about dni was sitting in this big dni group um uh with a um, one of our deans at, at our school has been kind of charged to create a, a more inclusive environment um, among our faculty and staff members towards our students. Um, 
And he was like, well, you know, I usually only do this stuff with faculty because that's where I work. And for me, I kind of chimed in and I'm like, see, that's the issue. Like you have to reach across and, and work with staff members. You can't just look at it as a function of um, academics because that's who pays you. Because, you know, I'm sure you and I both do a bunch of work kind of in tan, um, in tandem with academics, but um, we're not getting paid by academic affairs. We're getting paid by student activities or student life or res life. So a lot of thoughts in there. I don't know if any of them were actually uh, linear. I'm, I tend to be a little bit more of a, of a tangential thinker and speaker. <laughs> uh, yeah, you and I are very much similar in that. Uh, a lot of my thoughts kind of just circle around each other and then uh, making connections along the way. Now, I, I appreciate that because you said a lot of good things that um, um, in doing the work that we do, um, a lot of it is with folks that I, I kind of really resonated with what you said about um folks getting into the field kind of feeling like they kind of need to prove that we have this knowledge and that our jobs are worthy and that we are of use to the university because there are so many institutions where they can look at some student affairs jobs as if they're expendable and just be like, no, we don't, we don't need that. Do we? And then there's some schools that have like, in my opinion, too many <laughs> student affairs people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I've always felt that I've definitely had messages from folks in the past and I, and I know that to be true that I, I am the, the function or the way my job gets done. I am replaceable in that role, but me not being there, they'd lose out on a lot of different things just besides function. So you know, I'm not trying to like be self-deprecating, be like, oh, I'm replaceable. But like, you know, there. Let's be real. Mid-level positions. There's about there. There's about three times as many entry-level folks who are trying to take over my job. Exactly. And with the retention rate we have at both the entry level and the mid-level, someone will fill that job. Oh yeah. You you leaving your job is really gonna. Like, this is going to sound dickish, but it's like a blip in reality. Like it's not going to really set people back. And you gave them enough time, I imagine, to be prepared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. Like I'm, I'm not trying, you know, like I don't, I don't ever want this like, woe is me. Like, oh, I'm, I'm replaceable. But like in some sense I am and in many other sense or pieces I am not replaceable. They are not going to find another person um, – who I think does the job the same way I do it. And, yeah. you know, I'm not trying to give myself this congratulatory pat in the back, but please do. Um, it, well, yeah, you know, maybe I will later. Uh, <laughs> I'll do that in private. So it doesn't look so <laughs> pompous, but no, I, I think that's the thing though, right? Like it, it's like I said before, the thing that I think made me connect with students is the thing that kind of drove me out of the field. Like I think about it at, at university of New Hampshire, where I worked, you, I didn't have to dress up. And this is such a, a minute thing, um, but actually, it, it, I don't think it is to you because I know you've you've talked about professionalism in, in a number of things that you've done, and uh, professionalism doesn't have to do with clothing. Um, and I know something that's that you're passionate about or, or have been in your in your career. And I've never 
quite felt authentic wearing dress clothes working with students. Same. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break from the conversation with Dan to bring you a little hype uh, segment. I'm just going to hype up something that I'm really uh, a big fan of. Uh, This week I'm going to talk about Table Turned again. I'm sure those of you who've been listening to the podcast have heard me talk a little bit about Table Turned. I use Table Turned. It's a fantastic vinyl subscription service. Uh, I get a record every single month. It's a nice surprise every single month. Uh, In each subscription, you're able to pick the genre of music that you want to uh, you want to get a a record for. And I get the post rock instrumental uh, records currently. There's already a new subscription window open right now. And it actually closes in just under three weeks. It's going to close on New Year's Day. So... If you're a fan of noise rock, you know, bands like Drive Like Jehu, uh, Coliseum or Young Widows, or like records from the labels Relapse or Southern Lord or Temporary Residence, uh, I love all three of those labels, then get the noise rock subscription right now before the subscription window closes. Uh, go to tableturned.com. That's table-turned.com and start your subscription uh, right now, get like uh, reserve your subscription. It's really, really sick. It's always great to get the the record every month. I actually always forget that I I I, I am getting it, so it's a nice uh, surprise every month when it shows up. It also, if you are a fan of Americana punk tunes, kind of like the Gaslight Anthem or Social Distortion, or you like uh, records from Last Chance Records or Bloodshot Records, then get the Americana punk genre subscription today you know table turned uh dane who owns table turned is a great dude uh, i've been chatting with them off and on uh, ever since i started my subscription and they really take care of you there's actually one month where i got the brand new album leaf album delivered to me and i already owned that record so i was like hey i already own this record and he was like hey then tell me one from our 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 back catalog that you would like and i'll send that to you and i got to keep the album leaf record so i have two of those now probably going to do a giveaway for it since the table turn people were so chill about it so hey Keep your eyes open for that. Might do a giveaway of a great friggin' album. But they're great people. Support them. Please, please, please go start your subscription today. It's as little as $15 a month. That's fr- and with free shipping, which in the vinyl community, that's a really big deal if you can get free shipping on something. So go support Table Turned today. Table-turned.com uh, So, Dan, what are you getting into now? What's your new life going to be like? Yeah, my new life is I am kind of starting at the bottom and trying out a new career. I've been interested in craft beer and and brewing for a long time now, and this hasn't been the first time that I've kind of played around with maybe um, trying out that. And um, I've been lucky enough to be working part-time at a brewery in uh, Burlington, Vermont called Foam Brewers uh, for about a year and a half since they opened. And um, I am coming on full-time production um, January 2nd. So uh, my title is going to be a cellarman. Um, so a lot of my different responsibilities are kind of like cleaning kegs, cleaning fermenters, transferring beer, 
um, a lot of cleaning, uh, um, reading tanks, dry hopping beer, pitching yeast in uh, fermenters. Um, so Mike, making the beer. Uh, so well, helping make the beer. <laughs> yes, helping make the beer. I, I'm, I'm like helping it, and it's. Uh, I like to say I'm like a lead custodian um, <laughs> because <laughs> a lead custodian with a master's degree. I love it. <laughs> well, but, but it's funny because you know brewing is so much about um, having clean, um, like clean fermenters. Everything has to be sanitized, and um, so I think about that a lot. Like ninety percent of the job of brewers is to just make sure everything's sanitized and clean, because um, the littlest thing could create an off flavor in your beer. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I knew that I was going to be kind of going to the um, bottom rung, and and I'm okay with that. I'm I'm excited for a physical job where I'm going to be on my feet for eight nine hours a day, um, like working with my hands, learning a ton. Um, I've never I've always been stronger in like physical sciences, but not in like earth sciences like chemistry so there's definitely going to be a little bit of a learning curve because there's a lot of chemistry involved um with brewing but um yeah yeah all my friends who are craft brewers up in oregon because it's you know real hipster thing to do right now almost all of them either come from an engineering background or like a, a chemistry genetics background like that's what they studied in college and or at Oregon State University, you could legit get a degree in fermentation, um, in, in fermentation uh, yeah. with wine and brewing, which was a really cool thing to be around in college because all my friends were making beer and I was trying their beers when I drank beer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's cool because, you know, for those, I don't know, I just think for those college students, it's such a different experience around alcohol. Mm-hmm. And it's probably a more normal. They learn to like, appreciate the alcohol. Yeah. Or the process of making it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they learn how to appreciate it too, but uh, <laughs> let's hope. But yeah, I mean, so that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough. I've known um, a number of the folks who opened the brewery uh, since I moved to Burlington. And, you know, talking about engineering and science and stuff, two of the brewers and owners have food science degrees from Plattsburgh State and the other from UVM. So yeah. um, that was like a, a pretty big part in terms of why they wanted to brew. That's awesome. So you've been you've been working there for for a little while now. Uh, what do you enjoy about the brewery life? You know, I I will say that was like one of the biggest learning curves being a bartender because I'd never been a bartender before, and that's what I've actually done for the last year and a half. And there's something really nice about transactional jobs in the sense of like you help this one customer. You're done with that customer. You give them their, they give you an order. You give them a beer, and you're done. Sometimes you build relationships. And I know you were a bartender for a while too. Yeah, I, right. Yeah. So yep, I, I was in my college town. So you know, I think I, I really liked that. Um, I felt a lot of anxiety with my current job and my last job in, in student affairs. A lot of anxiety, overwhelming anxiety. And you know, I dealt with kind of the chip on my shoulder too. And I, I guess if I would have to say there was another reason on why I'm leaving student affairs, I, I think there's a lot of pressure that I just couldn't figure out how to how to mitigate. 
I guess. There was a lot of like being on call on a mid-level um, where you know you might have to respond to an attempted suicide or a student death or sexual assault. And there's a lot of pressure in that that I don't want to be the person to mess that up. So yeah, I've, I've dealt with a ton of anxiety over the years. And, and for me, this role feels... It just feels a little bit more freeing. I mean, I haven't fully stepped into that role, and I know there's going to be a ton of pressure to learn things, but it's going to be pressure to learn things to how to make a really good product. It's not going to be pressure to make sure I'm not breaking another human. You know, like. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that just sounded funny to me. <laughs> but, but, right? Like, I mean, there's a lot no, of. No, but it's true. It's great. <laughs> um, so I think I, I feel like when I put in my notice, I kind of felt relieved. I felt like yeah. I'm doing the right thing or I'm um, – it just felt like some of the pressures I felt with my current but soon-to-be previous job kind of lifted off my shoulders. Like, um, you know, I had a lot of responsibility for making decisions. And um, quite honestly, I'm um, – excited to not have to make many decisions right now you can just work a job go home play with your dogs play some video games and not worry about breaking someone (laughs) yeah but i mean think about how people knock at your door at 2 a.m i think it was when i was there (laughs) oh yeah that's right that random person knocked on the back door Oh man. That was like a private residence door. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is go home. Get out of here, kid. This Shaking is not my fist the front door. Like, yeah. Like the oh, the lit door that you can't even see. It makes sense that you think it was the front door. <laughs> no, so yeah, I, I don't know. I think I'm I'm excited about that too. Like to to not be dictated by calendar or email or having to respond to someone at 3 a.m. maybe just because their faculty member responded to them at the same time. Like, you know, there there's expectations, I feel like, in student affairs that are, they don't really, they're kind of like unrealistic from students. Like if you send an email at four in the morning, expect to get responded to maybe by noon. Yeah. You know, like, so some of that pressure and some of that stuff, I'm, I think I'm feeling pretty good about moving on. That's awesome. I'm really glad that you're going to get that. Like it, it seems like this is the move to like feel so you can feel good about the work you're doing and feel fulfilled and not have that anxiety when you're just trying to exist and do a job throughout the day. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I'll share that I just have recently um, stopped taking my, my antidepressive medicine like my lexapro whatever you want to say i don't know it always sounds weird to say anti-depression medicine but yeah so i I recently stopped taking um my meds um because i felt like it was the right time um kind of switching careers and having a new place and maybe having some less stress and anxiety so we'll see what happens well, I know that when I was a bartender, <clears throat> being someone in education as well, because I was also teaching high school at the same time, um, it was a it was a space where I could bring um, a lot of the stuff that I had learned in being a teacher to the work that I do with customers, customer service, because a lot of education jobs honestly feel like customer service jobs. 
I felt like I could bring a lot from what I've learned into that work. Do you feel this is a total bullshit interview question for higher ed people, but like transferable <laughs> skills from working in education? What do you feel like you take into your work at the brewery? Cause you joked a little bit about being the most like PC brewer, but like for real, like you're probably bringing some of that stuff into the brewery. No, I mean like, like I, I and I think that's the thing about transferable skills. Cause I've honestly watched a lot of my friends struggle who've left the field and they've had to go on and get a second master's degree in a different field just so they can get another job or, you know, and you have some people who are like, yeah, transferable skills are definitely a thing. And the people who have told me that are directors who have been able to get a job outside of student affairs in a director role somewhere and then come back to student affairs. I think the transferable skills for me, like, are the things I've learned that I wouldn't have known otherwise. Like, I do think a lot of the conversations around men and masculinity, around D&I work, that's stuff I'm going to take with me everywhere. And I'm a way better person because of the time I spent in higher education than I would have been probably if I did anything else. Uh, and I truly believe that. I think some of the things that make me a good bartender and will probably make me successful in any role that I have are, you know, kind of things I don't want to say I, I was born with, but they're things that I was able to craft over the years. I think, you know, if we're talking about strengths quest, I'm a woo, you know, like uh, <laughs> winning it, others over. <laughs> yeah. You know, and like some of that stuff is, you know, and I'm sure you're, you're all the student affairs people who listen to this will be like, Oh yeah, yeah I get that kind of piece. You know, the whole idea that there are some things that we're better at than others. And we want to lead with that. So you know, I think that's what makes me a successful bartender. That's what makes me a successful dishwasher, successful whatever is that I, you know, have that as a character strength. So I think it's it's hard to say really what are those transferable skills. Um, I mean, I would hope that anyone or I would say that anyone who's in higher ed, if you're not taking part of being on a recruitment process for your department, you need to do that. Because that's going to show you what is a really good resume, what's really good interviews. Um, those are transferable skills that are going to actually help you do better when you're looking for that next job. I think that's a huge piece. I think that's an incredible um, uh, piece of advice because especially if it's an institution you plan to – if it's also an institution you plan on being uh, an employee of for an extended period of time, being in that – sort of role like on search committees things like that you're also helping shape the people around you and who will help build your campus up for the foreseeable future and like my campus is going through a lot of changes right now and i'm trying to get on as many um search committees and like right now i'm helping pick the ras for our first residence hall ever and so um because I'm one of the few people in student affairs at UMass Boston that was an RA. And so it's, <laughs> it's an interesting um, experience because you get to, you get to help cultivate your own community. Mm-hmm. Um, now what's something about like working in the, in a, in a brewery that you either didn't expect or kind of surprised you? 
Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think for me, um, you know, bartender is an interesting thing. And, and bartender, and I'm going to speak from that lens because that's currently what I am. I haven't, yeah. you know, once I get to production, I'm probably, there's probably going to be a million different things that surprise me. Um, but I think the thing that surprised me the most is like you look at, at a bartender I think sometimes you you look in sort of this like um, like not sense of nostalgia, but like you you know we we are like man that bartender looks so cool oh man they're doing so and I, and I don't know maybe maybe because I know you you have a different kind of scene that you're involved in but you know beforehand I'm like oh man it must be so cool you know I kind of put these roles up on a pedestal and now that I've been doing it I'm like. You know, it's a lot of walking back and forth in, in a five foot <laughs> in like in like maybe like five to ten feet space and a lot of cleaning dishes. And yep, that's a lot of what bartending is. You just kind of turn around a bunch and you move like you get your steps, but your steps are all in like if you looked at a map of where you stepped for a whole day, it'd be a solid red dot basically in a circle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the thing I think you know the, the the thing for me that actually has been really humbling around the whole thing is uh cleaning toilets. Oh. Uh, you know, because it's like, yeah, you're like, oh man, that bartender looks so cool. And then at the end of the night, you know they're cleaning the toilet. Um, which is like <laughs> it's a very humbling thing, right? Like you can have the coolest, most hipster, bearded-looking bartender, but they are cleaning a toilet at the end of the night. Yeah. Maybe not that night, but maybe tomorrow night. You know, yeah. they're like, "That guy's sick. Check out that massive septum piercing. Yeah. That dude's mopping floors right now." <laughs> I mean, that's you know, and, and that's the funny thing about it, and um, and I kind of like it though. But I like that's the thing. I I feel like um, it's easy to kind of lose yourself to this like bubble where you're like, I've got a master's degree. I'm important. I'm this, I'm that. When, you know, when we were talking about how you kind of have to build up this self-worth in this weird kind of um, dynamic in the field. But then at the end of the night, when I go do a bar shift, I'm cleaning a toilet and that's like, yep. nobody gives a shit what I'm doing. Um, and I'm just hoping nobody threw up in the bathroom. Uh, you know which well, actually doesn't happen at all doesn't happen oh man our urinal we've got one of those like low flow water so you have to like dump water in it at the end of the night there was once where one time out of the whole year and a half someone threw up in the in the urinal and of oh. course it's my night to clean it and you can't flush it you literally have to like slop it out with your hand yeah oh. i put on about three gloves that night uh was that the- was that one of those i have a master's degree moments yeah but I, I had one of those. Or no, what's up? I said I had one of those yesterday when. Um, so I do coloring stations uh, for students to just like chill out and color in between classes. And yesterday I spent literally an hour sharpening colored pencils. And one of my colleagues came by and was like, "Craig, what are you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm using my master's degree to sharpen pencils right now." <laughs> Wait, you don't have a work study student? <laughs> I do, but they weren't around. Work study student job right there. Yeah, yeah. I could have used the the work study student for it, but they they were they were they were keeping me company with good entertaining stories. And that for me is enough. <laughs> My question is what is something you're going to miss? 
yeah, I mean, I, I really will miss the relationships. I'll miss, I'll miss the relationships with the students a hundred percent, you know, um, that's why we're there, but I'll really miss some of the relationships and some of the mentoring that I, I've been able to do with the entry-level professional staff. So the, the entry-level, our, our hall directors, area coordinators, residence hall directors, whatever you want to call them. We call them area coordinators, but really going to miss that piece. I, I've built some fabulous relationships with people and, and kind of seen them move on to other roles and um, get promoted to assistant associate directors at other places. And not that I take credit for any of that because – any station that anyone in life, well, okay, that that's going to be like a, a not a true statement. I was going to say any station somebody has in life, you know, they have to work for, and like we know that's bullshit. Some people just get handed, you know, their station. Oh yeah. But uh, a lot of the people that I've worked, I've seen them work really hard, or that I've worked with, I've seen them work really hard, um, and they've achieved some great things. So I don't ever want to take credit for that, but I'm I'm glad that I've been a part of their kind of journey in their professionalism. So I'll miss that. Oh, okay. It's time for the music break portion of the podcast this week, bringing you the latest split from Howling Frequency Records. It is with two bands called Mineva and Brunettes. I'm going to play you a new Mineva song. It's called Dereliction off of the split. Uh, That is fantastic. It is at howlingfrequency.bandcamp.com if you want to get the digital copy, which you can just download for free. You can get all six songs that are on this split for free, or you can pay five bucks and get a pretty sweet, sweet black and white cassette that uh, is limited to 50 copies. So if you're into cassettes, if you're into uh, collecting those, get, get your cassette, get it, get it and get this great split in your ears. All right. Let's listen to this new song from Mineva. It's called Dear Election.
That was Dereliction by Maneva. If you want to get this split between Maneva and Brunettes, go to howlingfrequency.bandcamp.com, look them up on Facebook, go through uh, uh, Instagram, and follow the bands Maneva and Brunettes. They're also on Spotify as well. Uh, go to howlingfrequency.bandcamp.com, download the album for free. You can just name your own price too. Send a couple bucks Paul's way or get yourself a cassette. I think it's a great, great idea. You should, you should do that. I've been listening to it. It's really good. All right. Now let's finish up this conversation with Dan O'Hara. All right, Dan, we're going to get to some lightning questions. These are just some of the things, like some of the things that you enjoy in life. So they're pretty easy. And whatever's off the top of your head, we can get into them a little bit if you want, but just off the top of your head. Okay. Favorite color? Uh, Teal. Teal. Nice. What about your favorite food, type of food? Oh, that's a hard question, but I'm probably going to have to go with pizza. Pizza? What kind of pizza? Uh, you know, uh, I like a lot of types of pizza. Um, it's whatever I'm in the mood for. But, you know, I've got, at this point, two pizza tattoos. Hopefully going to get a third or fourth pretty soon. You have two pizza tattoos and you have plans for two more? At least one more, I know. At least one more, okay. That's like me with, like... So I have one Futurama tattoo, and I have plans for at least two more. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely going to get a Futurama tattoo. I've just been thinking, like, you know, there's so much there. Yeah. Like, what do you go with? Yep. Well, and I also have two Arrested Development tattoos. And I, I could probably come up with a third one. <laughs> that's another thing. The content is just incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why those two shows, I think, are some of the best shows that have been on television in, in who knows how long because they're so smart. Like mm-hmm. you miss a joke because they've been well arrested development for one has been working on it for like a number of episodes or like the entire episode just to get or this series. one joke. Yeah. And, but then they like, they hammer in all these small jokes that like maybe you almost forgot about that original seed that was planted. Yeah. Yep. I love that stuff. Like both of my arrested development tattoos are only mentioned in one episode each so you're you're the one on your shin is amazing yeah i'm pretty proud of that one um uh, what is your favorite tv show do you have one oh maybe all time and current honestly i I probably have to go with um uh futurama is probably my favorite um my favorite show i Mm -hmm. think with a side note, I'd also have to say The Wire was a Dude, really fantastic show. Yeah. It's good stuff. I yeah. watched it while I lived in Baltimore for a summer. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, intense. Yeah, I'm sure you maybe got to see some of the landmarks that were referenced. Yep. Often. Kind of- it was great. I would run by them. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, sick. Do you have a favorite book? Yeah, yeah, I do. It's actually called The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay um, oh. by Michael Chabon, uh, or however, whoever wants to pronounce his last name. But okay. talk about a book that just is um, so great. Talks about um, comic books, um, identity, uh, like, uh, oh, it's just such a great book. I mean, it won the Pulitzer Prize back back in the day when it was written. Um, yeah, it's definitely, I, I often tell people if I, for, if I could forget 
any book I've ever read and experience how amazing it was the first time I read it, it would be that book. Oh, wow. Dang. I'm, I just did a quick search for it so I can add it to my Amazon list to check it out. Cool. Um, do you have a favorite tattoo of yours? Favorite tattoo? Um, yeah, actually I do. Um, I have a Star Wars tattoo that is R2-D2 as a cupcake, C-3PO as an ice cream cone, um, and then it uh, is a twist on that uh, iconic line of these aren't the droids you're looking for. My tattoo says these aren't the desserts you're looking for. <sighs> it's so good. <laughs> it's such a smart tattoo. It's so freaking funny and it's so well done. Oh, uh, yeah, yes. Uh, Stina at Grim North in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, great, great tattoo artist. Can't talk enough good stuff about that shop. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll I'll, I'll make sure to put a link to it, uh, to them in the show notes. Um, yeah. do you have a favorite type of beer? Uh, I do. Um, and you know, like any beer nerd is going to be like, duh, of course. But I would say double IPAs are kind of the beer okay. that I, I drink most often. Um, other than that, I really like, um, maybe what we call petite sours other places might call kettle soured but they're um beers that tend to be tart um um maybe a little lower abv um but uh have a lot of fruit and um like i don't know I, those are my two beers that i generally go to yeah um one of my favorite places when i was still drinking um back in corvallis oregon is called block 15 and they did in like they they brewed it like it was a brewery as well. And one of my favorite things that they did is they had a seasonal wheat ale, and mm-hmm. um, like our seasonal wheat fruit ale. So it had like a, a seasonal fruit, uh, like some one one was like had a strawberry wheat, and then we had marionberry wheat or boysenberry wheat. It's like amazing. Like if you compare the 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 fruit with the the wheat flavor, I really like. I was also a big stout person. Mm. I was very comfortable drinking the like thick. I liked thick beer, like really, milk stouts. Like yeah, they, coffee they're stouts. like creamy. Yeah, yeah. I was really into that. Um, <laughs> okay, we're gonna end where I typically end with music. Favorite bands you're listening to right now? Maybe a favorite album you like right now? Maybe all time uh, even? You know what? That's so funny. I was literally like uh, in the shower before uh, we were scheduled to kind of have this talk. I was like, I know Greg is going to ask something about music. I got to think about this. And then I just didn't. Uh, <laughs> so there You can take that. a moment. <laughs> no, I mean like um, – Albums that I keep coming back to, honestly, pretty much like any Wonder Years album, um, I keep coming back to. Uh, you know, there's so many things that I like. Like, um, oh God, there's a line that um, Lindsay and I were talking about the other day. Like, um, of course, I'm not going to be able to remember it as we're on the as we're talking, but it's like it's not about forcing happiness. It's not, a, or it's about not letting sadness win. Yeah. And I always yeah, love that's one that of my line. favorite Wonder Years lyrics. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so funny because I, I think about stress and anxiety and the idea that, um, you know, it's about accepting kind of what it is and that fighting against it. And that's something 
that line really makes me connect with. Um, but I, I really like them. Frank Turner, I will always come back to. Um, I've been listening to a lot of Decemberists lately. Um, uh, I think about like the last record I bought was a copyrights record. I like the copyrights. Um, and um, I would say album that I kind of wake up and just always say, hey, Google Play, is um, uh, Julian Baker. Ah. Um, really been Julian digging. B. Yeah, really been digging that lately. It's such a sad but beautiful album, or both of them, really. Yeah, the new one. Yeah, she, she, yeah, she took it there. She went to another level. Really yeah. brought out the voice in the new album. Have you gotten oh, to see her funny. live yet? Uh, I have not. No, I have not. It's a whole um, other experience, man. I'm. Didn't uh, she? Just, did she play with the Decemberists? Was that yeah. who she? Yeah, yeah we, got, I saw, we got to go see her. In, yeah, I was in Connecticut. We drove over and hung out with her for a minute. And I and I see that she's playing with the Bell and Sebastian in Europe. I think. Yeah. And like those in a nutshell, like Bell and Sebastian. Actually, you no, know, talking about bands, Bell and Sebastian is probably one of my favorite bands, and I would say best show I've seen. I saw that I've seen them a couple times, but I saw them at the Wang Theater in Boston, yeah. um, like seven or eight years ago. Best show I've ever seen, I think. Dang. You know, uh, Jeremy of Touche Amore is a huge Bell and Sebastian fan, too. Big. It's funny. It's funny. I just, uh, I've been listening to that BBC um, EP the they put one? out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Man, that album is, I mean, their new album is, or their newest one is just so gut wrenching, but to be able to hear it kind of like on that BBC recording, the, yeah. the couple of songs they go with, it's, it's really raw. And, um, you know, I think you can hear the lyrics a little bit more clear on yeah. that. Um, or maybe it's just where I was listening to at the moment that let me focus on it more. But, yeah, um, yeah. no, that, yeah, that... We've, we've been able to see touche a couple times since that album came out and we saw him like, it was like uh, maybe a couple weeks after it came out even uh, last year and um, just quickly got to like say uh, a couple words to Jeremy before the set because like I, I recently lost my dad to, to cancer as well. And just like we just had a uh, like a real quick back and forth about loss and using art to process it. It's it's a lot. It's heavy, but it's it, it's good. It's necessary. It's funny because doesn't doesn't he even reference like some particular songs being hard to listen to? Yeah, like like the second, yeah. You know, and I wonder if that for you because you were going through a loss listening to that album. You know, so I wonder if there's a little bit of that particular. I don't know. It just kind of made me think. I'm like, wait, he was talking about not being able to listen to the songs. You were listening to that album after a recent loss. So. Well, I mean, yeah. in, a, in my album, in the album I wrote, um, I reference a Marty Robbins song that my dad loved a lot. And I still try to listen. I try to go back to that album on the like around when his birthday would have been or when his his birthday and death day were really close. So I try to listen to some Marty Robbins just to like feel feel some stuff. But I'm one of those people that sad music tends to make me feel a little bit better, like feel like I'm yeah. not alone in it. So um I was just really thankful for it. That and Pianos Become the Teeth's Keep You album was one that um, really helped me process a lot of that stuff. 
but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's funny cuz just like I know you you want another thought real quick. No, but, no, 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 go ahead. Um, so, you know, and I think we've talked about this, but my my dad is is also he passed away a number of years ago and um I've I've got this thing so I actually saw the Ataris um and then like literally leaving the show to drive home found out my dad died and I haven't been able, I just haven't been able to listen to the Ataris really like ever again. Um, they just don't like, and it was such a, you know, I had such nostalgia for the Ataris listening to them growing up and like loving those albums. And now like, and I wasn't tight with my dad, but I think anytime you, you, you lose somebody who was a big part of your life, whether or not it was positive or negative, like it's, I don't know. So yeah, I I don't know. I have that kind of connection where I'm like, I can't really listen to that anymore. Oh yeah, but, I mean, yeah, I, I I completely get that. It can be tough. Um, but let's end on a quick message that you might have for folks uh, folks currently working in the field, maybe on the edge of leaving. <laughs> what 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 kind of things do you have to say about professionalism, authenticity, staying true, surviving maybe the field? What do you think? Because you 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 lasted eleven years. So I know, you know, I'm like that, uh, I'm like that to put it in terms of straight edge. Uh, if, if I was straight edge still, I would have been like the, the oldest straight edge kid ever. Um, <laughs> I no, it just makes the me grandpa. Think <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be, oh, you know, in his mid thirties and still, that's what I feel like though, being in student affairs and like doing it for as long as I had, I feel like I would like held out, um, but, um, you know, it's funny though, you, you asked the question of like, what advice would I have? Um, so, um, we have a, we have a couple of UVM interns, um, who are going through the HESA program working in our office. And, um, I recently told one of them that I was leaving and they're like, well, what advice do you have for me as a new, like kind of budding professional? Um, and this particular individual had been working in, um, industry for a while. So they're not a new professional. They had a year before higher ed uh so it was, it was a little difficult but like hearing that i'm like you know for me the the couple of things for professionalism and how to last long in this field don't have email on your phone mm. um that's about the worst thing you could do because then you really are kind of putting a ball and chain there because like we all check our email excessively because it's on our phones now um so if you have work email you're going to be tempted and if you look at it, you can't unlook at it because we're ethical people. So if we see someone in need or if we see something, we're going to act on it. Um, uh, and I've definitely like I not so much now, but I've soured myself sometimes at night by reading an email and being like, "Oh fuck, I got to do this now." When I really wouldn't have to till the next day if I just didn't open my email. Um, and, and then I think another thing is to recognize to say no because supervisors it doesn't matter how good they are how close they are with you they're always going to ask you to do more um and i think the thing that i've learned is uh you know what you can always do the same work tonight tomorrow morning and it realistically doesn't have too much of an impact if you just wait 12 hours Uh, i tend to leave things up on my desktop like just on the desktop like at the end of the day, I'm like, I'll just touch that first thing in the morning. I'm done for today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and and those are my, my kind of things, too. I think lasting, uh, or especially if you're someone who does feel anxiety, like the, the email thing. 
I know that was a huge trigger for me as someone who was anxious. Like it would just be like a nervous tick. I'd check email and then I'd be like, oh, I got to do this. Um, so I would say those are, those are my, my two things. I think authenticity too, um, just to end it is, uh, that's the reason I'm leaving, um, is because I didn't feel like my true authentic self anymore, um, in the, in the job. And, um, the message I left with my students is change can be scary. Um, but don't not take up, like, don't miss an opportunity, um, because you're too scared of what could happen. Um, and I think for me, I didn't want to be in my forties and come back and be like, should I have tried brewing? Um, and never have that opportunity again. So I think for me, that's a, that's a big part about authenticity is not, um, passing up something that could be really good. Just. Hmm. I like that. I often feel that way about pro wrestling. <laughs> Did I miss my you, opportunity? You, I, no, you, I think you're still in it. You got this. I mean, honestly, in a couple, maybe in a couple years when I'm feeling like I've got some projects out of the way, maybe I'll go back and start training again. Who knows? Who knows? Well, you know, I I just set up a cage and see what happens. Yes. Cage match, you know? I'm down. First matches against Dan O'Hara. I challenge oh, you, brother. Yeah, right. I can't even walk up a flight of stairs without being tired at this point. So uh, <laughs> I'd be an easy takedown. Easy takedown. Go straight for the knees. Oh, God. All right, Dan. Thanks so much for chatting with me. Okay. All right. We did it. One more episode to go this season. It's been a wild six months of making podcasts, seven months of making podcasts, sharing stories, talking to friends and new people I've never even met before. It's been fun. Thanks to Dan for chatting with me uh, this week for the podcast. One of my favorite dudes, one of my favorite human beings. Love hanging out with Dan. Can't wait to see the new place in Winooski, Winooski, Vermont. Best of luck to Dan as he moves on from education uh, and moves into the craft brewing industry, working up at Foam Brewery in uh, Vermont. Uh, Big, big, big thanks to him again. Uh, Really glad that he was willing to chat with me and share some pretty vulnerable stories. I'm really thankful for that. Also, if you liked what you heard, please tell your friends. Have them rate, review, subscribe on the Apple iTunes store or find us on the Google Play Music Play Google Store. I think that's what it's called. The Google Music Play Google Store. Sounds about right. Katie's shaking their head no, but I think it sounds about right. Uh, If you want to follow us on Instagram, go to edupunkspod on Instagram and on Twitter, edupunkspod. Follow me at Craig Bittedman. If you liked the music you heard today, go to howlingfrequency.bandcamp.com. Get the split between Mineva and Brunettes. It's a lot of good tunes on that split. You can also get that cassette or name your own price for the digital. Get it. It's great stuff. And go to tableturn.com, table-turn.com, and reserve your subscription, your vinyl subscription. You can pay monthly or you can pay for the whole year up front. Get yourself brand new records every single month. It's a great deal. Support great people, please. That's all. That's the. Those are the only people I like to hype, the, the good ones, the good people. 
next week we'll be back with the season finale. Again, really excited to share that conversation with you. Uh, we'll be closing out this first season of the podcast, which I've done a lot. I've had a big learning curve over the last few months, and I'm really thankful for everyone who's been able to chat with me. Uh, it's been great, and, and even chat with Katie. Uh, and we're going to have a lot more conversations coming your way pretty soon. So yeah, in the meantime, let's get to work. <laughs>